Well, good morning and welcome everybody one more time to Encounter Church. Uh, listen, as we just heard, we're building up to this uh, fall launch extravaganza. It's a big party. It's a great opportunity for you to invite your one, that one person that you really, really hope and pray to see, experience the love and grace of Jesus for the first time or for the first time in a long time. My rhythm and my habit uh, is that when somebody comes to mind, when a name comes to mind, I have a very sophisticated system of remembering that. I just write it down in my notes app, in my phone. I put their name down, I pray for them, and my list starts to get like longer and longer. And then over time, and sometimes it takes years, but over time, I start to get to see God work and show up in their life, and it just gives me more to celebrate God's goodness for. So write down their name, think about your one, pray for them, invite them to us September 11. It's going to be a big party and the perfect opportunity. Uh, We're in part two of a series right now, following the life and the ministry of Elisha, in the, in the Bible, in the Old Testament. Um, the series is called Wild, and as we just saw, the idea behind this thing is just this recognition that following Jesus isn't often the, the tame and secure and safe life that we have imagined sometimes. Following Jesus is wild. It's absurd. It's ridiculous. It's outrageous. It's even miraculous at times. Following Jesus is an incredible, incredible journey that he's asking us to step into. And so last week we heard about this, uh, this absurd call uh, in Elisha's life and also in our lives. And our takeaways from last week and, and applying that story to our lives was, was that he has an absurd call on you. He's asking you first and foremost to be someone. He's asking you to do something. And probably the most neglected of all, he's asking you to leave something behind. What is it? that you're leaving behind. Uh, Today we continue on in the story. We're going to fast forward a couple years, in fact, of that story, and we're going to see the ridiculous faith that he's asking us to step into today. Uh, As we do so, I like to play a little game. It's a fun game in church. We can have fun in church, I promise. But the game is called an if-only game. And if you're like, I've never played that before, you have. You have. Because you've used this sentence, this phrase before, if-only blank. If only blank, then I would be happy. If only blank, then I would be content. If only blank, then I, would, then I would be more fulfilled or life would be easier or somehow life would be enhanced or better. If only, then everything would be great. We've all played this kind of game before. I play this kind of game. It's church. I can admit this sort of stuff. I can admit I play the if only. If only I had like a little more hair going up on top. You guys get what I'm talking about. Man, my life would be better, okay? I mean, the cameras don't pick it up and it's like there's more on there, but then if only, then my life would be better. Or if only I had a little more hair in the right places, because as I head into my 40s, it's starting to kind of all around and it's like, that's no, the God, that's not specifically what I was asking for. If only, then life would be better. Some of you are going, if only, if only I had a boyfriend, if only I had a husband, if only I had a husband who had a job, <laughs> if only I had a husband with a job that also looked like Ryan Gosling, everything would be perfect. That's, that's the thing that I'm going for. If only, and I'm more serious now, right? If, if only I wasn't just in crippling debt, If only I just had a little financial breathing room. If only I had a job that I enjoyed, or if only I had a job that there was some kind of meaning behind the job rather than just get a paycheck every couple of weeks. If only, if only I could extend an offer forgiveness fully and finally. 
Right? Because like we've all heard that quote before about like unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. And you're like, I know that, but for whatever reason, I just can't seem to let it go. And I know it's it's got a hold of me and it's destructive and it's crippling and it's poison, it's toxic. I hate it. But I can't let it go. If only I could forgive and finally forget and move on. I want to share a story with you this morning from the Old Testament, following along this life of Elisha, but I think you would be greatly served if you could, if you could watch this story unfold through the lens of your if-only statement. What does he have for you, if only? We're going to go to 2 Kings in the Bible, chapter 3. We say around here, a dull pencil beats a sharp mind in remembering the truths that God tells you. So if you'd like to take notes, go right ahead. We're going to jump in there in just a moment. But before we do, what I'd like to do together is just to set up the story a little because it's a bit complicated. And instead of reading the whole thing, I'll just kind of catch us up to speed before we get into our passage. Um, what we're doing is we're taking, dropping in on the story. When Elisha takes over the ministry, uh, Elijah has gone away now. And the people, Ahab and Jezebel, the kings in Israel that he has battled and sparred with for so long, are also gone. A new king of Israel takes over. And this king decides, hey, you know what? When mom and dad kicked it, uh, Moab used to be paying us some tributes, paying us these, these monthly payments. And they stopped when King Ahab kicked it. And I'd like to get those checks back. I'd like to get that money back. And so what the new king of Israel, the northern kingdom, decides, I'm going to go to war against Moab. And I, I'm pretty sure, like, we got them. Like, I, I think we can do this sort of thing. But just to make sure that we got them, right, I'm going to recruit some help. And so the northern kingdom king in, invites the southern kingdom of Judah king, hey, do you want to join us in this army? And do you want to go to war with Moab? Because, like, two-on-one is much better odds than one-on-one, even though I think, I think we got them. And the southern kingdom says, sure, that sounds nice. Let's go to war. And then as they're going through the country of Edom, they invite that king and say, hey, you know what's even better odds than two-on-one, right? And so the king of Edom says, sure, I don't like the Moabites. Let's all go together. So three kings, three armies, going to do battle against Moab. One king, one army. They're like, this is a great plan. How many of you in life, no show of hands, thought you had a great plan, and then it just didn't really work out all that well? I'm preaching to someone, right? Come on now. They go out to battle, and immediately they recognize some things went Poorly. Let's pick up the story in 2 Kings 3, starting in verse 9. So the king of Israel set out with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. Three on one. Three kings. Not those three kings. That's a New Testament story. It's a different story altogether. After a roundabout march of seven days, the army had no more water for themselves or for the animals along with them. So they had swords, spears, shovels. They had animals. Somebody forgot to pack the water bottles, or more likely, if they did pack the water bottles, they kind of got turned around somewhere in the desert, and after seven days of wandering around, they realized, we're supposed to do battle, and we don't have any water. Like, this is, this is becoming dangerous. I asked you earlier to look at this story through the lens of your if only, then I'd be happy. If only, life would be better. Life would be hands statement. These three kings are going, oh, I got mine. If only I had something to drink. If only we had water, then we could survive. They know what their if-only statement is. Verse 10, what 
exclaimed the king of Israel. Has the Lord called us three kings together only to deliver us into the hands of Moab? It's three on one. It was supposed to be easier than this. But Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, southern kingdom, asked, is there no prophet of the Lord here through whom we may inquire of the Lord? An officer of the king of Israel, underline that one, that's interesting, answered, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here. I heard about him last week. He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. No relation. Pouring hands on the prophet. This is, uh, this is kind of a euphemism, uh, an, an idiom, an expression to say, Elisha used to be the intern of Elijah. Uh, since then, in the years that followed from last week to this week, Elijah had been called up into heaven with this chariot, this whirlwind of fire, right? And Elisha asked for this double portion of blessing and all these miracles. Elisha, I'm not... Um, uh, I'm not the official judge of like ranking prophets, but I just got to say, Elisha had an astounding rookie year at like being a prophet. Like right out of the gate, he splits the Jordan River. That's a big deal, just like Elijah did. And then because of this like double portion kind of thing, he really kicks it up double time. In fact, in the chapter previous to this one, Elisha uh, found out this, this spring, this well, had, had gone bitter, had gone sour, and, and was no longer able to be uh, drinking from. And so he pours some stuff on it and and he, and he heals the spring, is what they said. They, they make it, he makes it so it can be drunk out of again. It's, it's a miracle. It's provision. It's incredible. It's great. Uh, Elisha, the prophet, is doing all these really, really incredible miracles to show Israel, Judah, probably Edom, to everybody just, just who he is and just what God is, capable, uh, God is capable through him. There was this story, again, in the one chapter previous to this one, you really got to read this story. You can't make this stuff up. We talked about bald people earlier. Elisha is walking through. He must have been you know, thinning up top. And, uh, and some kids, some youths they're called, come out and they start taunting him. They start calling, hey, baldy, baldy, baldy. And it just so rattles him. He calls out a bear from the wilderness to come and attack them. Again, you can't make this stuff up. Takeaway, don't make fun of bald people. <laughs> you never know how close to God they are. This is Elisha, okay? So Israel, officer in Israel, calls out Elisha. Uh, Verse 12, Jehoshaphat, the uh, Judah guy, southern kingdom guy, Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. And so the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat of Judah and the king of Edom, the three kings, went down to Elisha to talk to him. A little back history. Like I already said earlier, the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom, does not exactly have a reputation of following closely in, av- uh, in the footsteps of God. The northern kingdom is not a group of people who particularly love following God. In fact, they got their own system. They got the Baal system. Elijah, predecessor, fought against Ahab and Jezebel all the time, probably more against them as a king-queen combo than anybody else in the Bible. Like, they didn't love... But when they're wandering around in the wilderness with three armies and all the animals, and nothing to drink, guess who gets real spiritual in that moment? When life knocks you flat on your back, you have nowhere to look but up, right? As a pastor, I have fielded some very strange calls of people that I didn't think I would ever hear from in this capacity, right? Because they got life figured out and everything's going okay. But when the phone rings, and it has been years and years, church, I'll pick it up just to hear the story on the other end that brought them to call me. When life knocks you over, 
and you're flat on your back. You've got nowhere to look but up. And this is, ex- this is exactly what the king of Israel, the position that he is in, he has sparred over and over and over again with Elijah and now Elisha. But what are you going to do in that particular moment? I want to say a couple of things. First thing is, is an important spiritual truth, and the other one is just fun. The important spiritual truth on this one is that they thought they had to go to a prophet. You know, and how God related to his people back then, he, he was training them, they were in development, they needed to go to a prophet. Church, I just want to tell you, important spiritual truth, you don't have to go to a prophet. In fact, that's what the entire book of Hebrews was written in the New Testament, in the Bible. You go directly to the throne room of heaven and intercede with, G- with none other than the risen Jesus Christ, the God of all. You get to go to him directly. When you pray... Think about for a moment everything that God did to bring you to that place where you could speak to him directly. And the second part is just what's kind of fun is is that we're going to see Elisha start to get a little snarky, you know? And I don't know if he's hungry and and he's tired and maybe that's why it comes out in me. But but for him, he kind of saw... he saw this happening with his predecessor, Elijah, the snarkiness that kind of came through. And so we see that. And this is something I'm just going to point out that it's not necessarily something we're going to emulate. Sometimes there's things in the Bible that are like cautionary tales, not like, hey, you should do it this way. You know, Genesis, like, have lots of wives and things. It's like, no, 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 don't, don't be like that guy, right? These are, these are broken people that God is still working through and, and, and saving. Sometimes we're going to see the snarkiness. Elijah, he's battling Ahab and Jezebel on the mountain, and he's like, well, we're going to find out once and for all whose God is bigger, you know, uh, Baal, right, your, your guy, or, or Yahweh, or, or my God. And first one to rain down fire from heaven and burn up the altar wins. I'll give you a head start. And the snarkiness that comes out of Elijah uh, at this time, right? They, they build the altar. The Baal prophets are all, like, calling down. Elijah's over here, and he's, he's so snarky, right? And he's like, hey, um, maybe your God is deaf. Maybe, maybe Baal can't hear you. You should shout louder. And <laughs> so the people, like, get louder and louder. And he goes, oh, no, no, no. I don't think that's the case. I think, Baal, I think your God is napping. You know, maybe he's asleep. You should, like, do some dances or something to, like, to, like wake him up. The snarkiness involved. Elijah's over. Maybe your God is on the bathroom and is just taking care of business. I'm making that last one up. Yeah, that's not actually in the... The first two were in the Bible, though, right? Elijah has this kind of snarkiness about him that I think Elisha picks up on. Because he's just about to... Just, 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 just listen, okay. Uh, verse 13. 13. Um, Elisha said to the king of Israel, the faithless guy, okay, why do you involve me? Like, for real. I mean, I think he's asking, me? Like, now you call? I get it. Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. You know it's intense when he's bringing his mama into it. No, the king of Israel answered, because it was the Lord who called us three kings together to deliver us into the hands of of Moab. Elisha said, verse 14, as surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, if I didn't have any respect for the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, the southern kingdom guy, I would not pay any attention to you. Now bring me a harpist. I really don't like you, northern kingdom guy, but because of my affection for southern kingdom guy that you happen to be traveling with, 
I'm going to help out. Give me a harp. I love that he asks for like the biggest, clunkiest instrument he possibly can. He could have brought a tambourine. Give me a tambourine. Oh, we've got plenty of tambourines. We just bring those from home. Bring me a lyre, you know, like a little guitar. It's like a ukulele. Some dude's got one of those on his backpack already. No, no. I want a harp, like the full thing. Go, go ahead and get it. I'll wait. They come and they produce a harp for him. <laughs> he starts playing the harp. And as it often is the case, is when we, when we turn on the music, it has a way, God has a way of also opening up our hearts. And it's like a couple things in church that are never going to go away. Music and preaching is never going to go away in church, I'm pretty sure. It's just God has, Holy Spirit has a special way of opening our hearts up, helping us to, to see him a little bit more clearly uh, when a little music is playing. So, so Elisha, not that it has to be music, that's personal expression of piety thing, not like dictation from on high, but, but as he's listening to the harpist play, his heart is getting open, and he's able to discern the voice of God. Except for, as often as the case, the voice of God can be a little confusing to us mortals at, at times. And it ha- happens to us, and I think it happens back then too, and I just, I really appreciate it. God is going to speak. But what he says is going to be a little complicated, and it's going to get a little deep. So I'm going to ask you for a little bit of patience because we're going somewhere. But it's going to get a little confusing in the meantime. Verse 16, God speaks, and Elisha said, this is what the Lord says. And I put a blank in there because depending on which translation of the Bible that you're reading, it's going to come out in two very different ways. Because we have to recognize that this is a thousands-year-old text of a very primitive language that hasn't had a lot of time to develop. There's thousands of words in the Hebrew language, the language that the Bible was written in. To give an equivalency, there's hundreds of thousands of words in English, and I know several of them. (laughs) Some of the words had to do double duty. So it's just a little bit difficult, outside of the context, to, to fully discern exactly what it is that God is saying. Uh, we, we know that there's uh, pools involved. We know that there's uh, cisterns or trenches or ditches somehow. It's, it's all the same word in the word that is used there. And so we don't totally know. And so I want to be honest. In many translations of the Bible that you would pick up on, it would read something like this. This is what the Lord says. I will fill this valley with pools of water. In many translations of the Bible, roughly about half, you're going to pick it up and you're going to read God saying, I'm going to do the heavy lifting. And in many other translations of the Bible, almost half of them are a little bit more literal than that. It says, this is what the Lord says, make this valley full of trenches. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to read those two different lines and to be somewhat confused. Which one is it? God? Are you going to do the heavy lifting? Or am I? Who's doing the work here? Is it you're going to fill the pools with water? Or are you telling us to get our shovels out and start digging ditches? Yes. I think it's intentionally vague. Like, I think the language was written in such a way, and the people 
wrote this and, and kept on repeating and kept on rewriting it and found it so valuable that thousands and thousands of years later, we still have it, not because it was some kind of a mistake. I think it's intentional. I think the point here is God saying, who's going to do the heavy lifting? Is it me or is it you? And God is saying, yes. It's a lot of like how faith works. And you guys, any of you who's followed after Jesus for a time, for, for several seasons, maybe even decades, you know just how infuriating this whole process is. Who's going to do the heavy lifting? Is it you or is it me? And God is like, yes. A, an expression that sometimes we use about this in the church is something like, faith works. And you're like going, well, what do you mean specifically about that? Do you mean like faith is able to like move the heart of God that you take a step towards him and he takes a giant leap towards you and, and meets you and blows your mind in a way that you could never even imagine? It has immeasurably more, Ephesians 3.20, than you could ask or imagine? Yes. Do you also mean that like faith has to have some kind of action component on it that you got to get out there and do something? Maybe even start picking up a shovel and digging a ditch or two, a, a trench or two? Yeah. I mean, even the New Testament authors who had the benefit of, of learning from Jesus and the first generation of Jesus' followers after him, I sit down and they write out their gospels to the churches. They, they write out their own Jesus accounts, everything that they learned. And, and Paul is like, church in Rome, church in Ephesus. Like, you got to know, man, it is faith 100% all the way. You don't have to do anything to merit the favor and grace of Jesus. It's all him all the way. And James, the half-brother of Jesus, is like, you know... I got a name for somebody who says that they have faith, but like doesn't do anything with it. James says faith without works. That's dead. There's nothing there. Who's doing the heavy lifting, God? Yes. I kind of want, I want to land this plan on two helpful points before we send you into the week to be thoroughly confused. <laughs> two helpful points. Uh, the first one that we're going to see is God is going to send the water, but you've got to dig the ditch. God is going to send the water, but he's asking you to start digging. Talk about shovels. Talk about ditch, ditch digging. Get out there. Start digging a ditch. We have the advantage as New Testament Christians, we have the advantage of seeing it to the heart of God so remarkably clearly because we have the advantage of reading the gospels of Jesus, the Jesus accounts, and we can see the heart of God come through every time that Jesus says, show me your faith, or I have seen his faith, and then there's some miracle that follows that. And you're going, Jesus, how do you see faith? You know, Jesus, do you see like, you know, like special Holy Spirit steam coming out of his ears? Does his heart kind of like glow warm and comes out of his chest through his clothes even? How do you see faith? No, you don't see faith. You see what faith does. It's like trying to see the wind. You don't see the wind from inside at least. What you do is you see what the wind does. It, it blows the leaves on the trees. It moves the branches. You see what the wind does. In the same way, Jesus sees the faith of so many different people that he interacted with. And then he responds. He responds to their little bitty amount of faith intersects with his ocean of faithfulness and stand back. He just blows some minds. And there's a guy that came up to Jesus with this, this withered hand. And Jesus is going, I want to see your faith. 
Stretch out your hand. He gives him something to do. I want to see your faith. And when his little bitty faith intersects with Jesus' ocean of faithfulness, he heals him. It's like, Jesus, couldn't you have just like, bam, Jesus power, it's done. Yes, absolutely yes. But that's not how God chooses to operate. Show me your faith. I'll meet you with my faithfulness. Start digging a ditch. I will bring the water. Jesus comes up. He finds the, he finds the, um, the mat, paralyzed man on the mat. And he does something so, so unthinkable. He does something so, so cringeworthy. He tells a paralyzed man to stand up and, and then to pick up his mat. And everybody is cringing until the man stands up. Show me your faithfulness. Dig a ditch, I'll fill it with water. Jesus meets this guy blind from birth. Yeah. He goes, oh, I, watch this one. <laughs> Spits. Makes, makes mud. <laughs> wipes it on the guy's hand, or wipes it on the guy's face, his eyes. He says, now, go wash in this specific pool, and then you'll be healed. Could you have done this a different way? I think Jesus is like, yeah. I mean, I wanted to see how far this guy would go. <laughs> if this story is going to be told 2,000 years from now, i got to do something memorable. <laughs> show me your faith, and I'll show you my faithfulness. Start digging. God will bring the water. Church, my question for you, based on your if-only statement, where is God asking you to start digging? Sometimes I get people that talk to me about dating and relationships, which is a little ironic because I have not looked for a girlfriend in 21 years. <laughs> but I've observed a few things if we talk. And it's like, man, why hasn't this happened yet? You know, I've prayed for the right girl to come into my life. Somebody just to show up. Maybe I'd meet somewhere. I don't know. And it just hasn't, years have gone by. It just hasn't happened yet. And sometimes I kind of ask the question, like, I'm on your side, dude, but like, where, where have you been digging ditches that you're expecting God to fill with rain, to fill with water? It's like, well, I, I don't know, what do you... What kind of dishes are you, how are you spending your time to like show God your faith in order for him to meet you with his faithfulness? What have you been doing to fill, the, what have you been doing to meet that special someone? And it's like, I don't know, like a lot of Xbox. Dude, you're not, you're not digging ditches. You're digging like your own grave into that thing, like, like just giving the life away, right? Like here's what we do. We dig some dishes. We we put the Xbox down, we, we brush our teeth, we put on a clean shirt, we go to church, find a serving team, maybe update your app, be the kind of person that the person you're looking for is looking for. And then God brings the rain. Show him your faith. He'll meet you with faithfulness. This is kind of a, maybe a little controversial. I don't know, you can be the judge, but I've noticed a, another observation as it relates to money and finances. Like if only I wasn't in debt all the time. If only I could just have a little breathing room. Right, the payments are like crushing. If, I could, if only I could have a little more money. A little more money tends not to be the problem. I know that because I've walked with enough people that have gotten a little more money and it doesn't make the problems go away. Sometimes it even exacerbates the problem. 
Because what you're looking for isn't actually just a little bit more money. What you're looking for is happiness. And the way to find that happiness is through contentment of what you already have rather than getting what you want. And God built into our lives, built into ourselves a mechanism for generating gratitude and contentment. It's called generosity. And when we give and when we step out and when we show him our faith with just 10%, he does more with the 90% left behind than we could with 100%. Show me your faith by digging a ditch. I'll meet you with my ocean of faithfulness and bring down the rain from heaven. I'm learning this. So I got a kid going into middle school, which I just realized starts in two days. (laughs) I'm terrified. I don't know what it's like to parent a teenage daughter. She went to the early service today, so you get the the full gospel unencumbered by, you know. I I don't know, like a preteen, right? I just it makes it makes me so nervous. And she's asking me questions like, Dad, can you drop me off at youth group? And I'm like, who let you go to youth group over the summer already? And it's inconvenient at times. And then the leaders, her leaders got together and I gotta watch it because they're like right over here. But but they invited my daughter to a to a sleepover, right? Like a, out camping in the backyard, a double feature movie starting at nine. And I'm like, this is not this is a girl that needs twelve hours of sleep a night. This is not gonna go well. And I just, I should have brought a picture, it would have been great. She cashed out on the living room floor like within ten minutes of, of getting home, and I'm like, this is gonna be a wreck. And it's it's tough. But what I'm doing every Wednesday. From 6.30 to 8, I'm digging ditches. Because in the next few years, she is going to have some questions that I will do my best to answer. And because of who teenagers are, she will find generally unsatisfactory (laughs) and look for answers elsewhere. Every time I can strategically put an adult non-relative in her life that can support her, and guide her, and shed some wisdom. Guys, I'm digging ditches. And I'm trusting and I'm believing that God is going to bring the rain. Every time I drop my kids off, and kids men, same thing, younger scale, I'm digging ditches. If only my kids could follow Jesus. I'm going to step out in faith. I'm going to ask God that you meet me with an ocean of your faithfulness. Based on your if-only statement, what's the ditch you have to dig today? That's one. Second one, three armies, three kings, all the animals. Nobody brought a shovel. You know, if they did bring a shovel, they weren't like uh, ditch-digging kind of shovels. They weren't anticipating this to be what they were going to spend their time with. They thought they were going to war. They don't have a backhoe. They don't have a ditch witch, right, that they're going to dig all these trenches with. They're maybe using, like, the, the backs of their spears, you know? I, I don't know. They have a remarkably small tool to start digging with. I imagine a few of these guys get started with what limited tools that they have, and pretty soon they get a little discouraged because the ditch isn't really turning into the trench or the cistern or the pool that they're hoping is going to be. If it does rain, it's all just going to wash away. I just want to let you know, you're going to start small. I want you to still believe big. Believe big. Start small.
Be faithful. We've seen a couple pictures of what this looks like. One of my favorite, 2016 Game 3, possibly the best three-pointer shooter in the history of the game. Three seconds left on the clock. He pulls back. Just about to go in. Spoiler alert. Crowd goes wild. They win. Steph Curry wins over the Oklahoma City Thunder. Pandemonium in the stadium. This was not the first three-pointer that Steph Curry shot. (laughs) Another picture. His daily grind. His rhythm. In the gym. This is a guy who shoots a thousand three-pointers every practice. He practices 10 times a week, 52 weeks a year, over 25-ish years practicing. Double-check my math, but I'm pretty sure that's somewhere in the neighborhood of 13 million attempts when nobody is watching just so that he can be ready for the one Everybody is watching. Man, you've got dreams. God has put on your heart something huge, a ministry, a calling, vocation, something big. And it can be remarkably intimidating to step out and to do that. But I'm telling you, believe big. Don't diminish. Don't pull away from that. But at the same time, don't be discouraged by the size of the equipment that God has surrounded you with. Don't be discouraged because all you've got is a shovel or the back of a spear and you're just trying to make do. Believe big, but Zechariah 4.10, God says, don't despise the small beginning. The Lord takes delight in the start. Get in the gym. Start taking shots. Believe big. Start small. Start even today because when you're Faith intersects with his ocean of faithfulness. Stand back. Let's pray together. I want to invite you to stand up as we go to God directly as it is our blessing, Jesus, to walk directly into your throne room. We don't have to go through a prophet. We don't have to go through a pastor. We don't have to find a more Christian friend to intercede on our behalf. Jesus, we get to talk to you. And you're calling us. You're speaking to us even now. And you're asking us to believe big. You're asking us for our whole lives, our whole heart, holding nothing back. God, you're asking us to start on this great work today, to pick up a shuffle and to start digging. God, maybe it's fear or embarrassment. Maybe it's just a general sense of not having a clue how it is that we're supposed to accomplish what you have for us to accomplish. But Jesus, we know that in you all things are possible. Jesus, we know that the same resurrection power that was alive, that brought you back from the dead 2,000 years ago, is alive in the room here today. Jesus, we believe. Help our unbelief. Jesus, we believe that when our faith intersects your faithfulness, we should stand back because you, Lord, are so, so good. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, church. 
It's our sincere prayer that this message was able to help you find new life in Christ. And if you did find it helpful, would you consider donating to help drive this ministry forward? And don't forget, there's no substitute for doing life together. So find a worship experience, join a small group or a serving team today. You can do all this at EncounterChurch.org.